Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio, featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew. Today, Pastor Matthew continues his series in the Gospel of Matthew with his sermon entitled, The Virgin Birth of Christ, preached on December 22, 1996. Now, if you have your Bible, please turn to Matthew chapter 1. The Virgin Birth of Jesus the Savior. The gift of the Heavenly Father is giving the world during this season the unspeakable gift of a Savior, Jesus, the eternal Son of God. The question is, have you received him? And the question God is asking you is this, have you proclaimed him to your children? That they have put their trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. This Savior Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. As the Lord had promised over 700 years before his birth through his prophet Isaiah. So this is the season in which the true church celebrates the birth of the virgin born child who is born to us, the son who is given to us, the mighty God, the son of David, the everlasting king, the shoot out of the stump of Jesse as well as the root of Jesse the liberator of all burdens how do gospels introduce this Jesus to us Matthew and Luke call him virgin born Savior, Lord, Christ, Jesus, the Holy One, Son of the Most High, Son of God, Emmanuel. Mark, of course, introduces him as Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark does not give us a narrative of his birth but he does introduce him Jesus Christ the son of God what about John in his prologue first chapter of John if you turn with me let's see how Saint John introduces Jesus Christ to us. And verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. As J.I. Packer tells us in his book, Knowing God, in this verse we are given the eternity of the Lord Jesus Christ, that He is eternal. 
When other things began, he was. He was from all eternity and he is from all eternity. This Jesus Christ, in other words, is eternal. Again, verse 1 says, And the word was with God. That speaks about his personality. That this one, this word is a personal being. He is eternal personality. In eternal relation to God the Father. In other words, here we are told that the word is a personal being distinct from the father and yet eternally in fellowship with the father thirdly verse 1 tells us the word was God that speaks about the deity of the word he was God and yet he is personally distinct from the father fourthly we are told in verse 3 through him all things were made and so on so John introduces to us the word as the creator of all things visible and invisible he created all for the father yet not part of creation and then we are told in verse 4 in him was life by this John tells us the origin of life all life angelic human animal vegetable the origin of all life must be seen in Jesus Christ and the cause of the continuation of this life must be seen in this word who is God, Jesus Christ. And not only that, we are told in him was life and that that life was the light of men. In other words, not only Jesus is the author of all life, but he also is the author of revelation. Knowledge of God comes to man through Jesus Christ. There is no other way anyone can know God except through the word God, Jesus Christ. And then in verse 14 we are told the word became flesh and Made his dwelling among us. This means. John understands. That this Jesus Christ. Is the eternal word. This Jesus Christ. Is the personal being. Distinct from the father. This Jesus Christ is God himself. This Jesus Christ is creator. This Jesus Christ is the author of all life. And this Jesus Christ is the author of all revelation of God. This God 
became man. This God became flesh. This creator became flesh. The mighty God is the one helplessly lying as a baby in the cattle trough. Who is this? Oh, John has no doubt as to who this one is. Verse 14 tells us, We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, the only begotten, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And verse 18, No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Thus he introduces Jesus Christ to us. God became flesh. However, there are people such as Professor William Barclay, a great man, of course, a great scholar, a Scotchman, and people like him will look upon the virgin birth of Jesus Christ as a crude fact. They cannot see any beauty in this virgin birth. So he tells us in his study on Matthew that this virgin birth is a doctrine which presents us with many difficulties. And our church Now, he doesn't speak for this church. He's speaking about his church. He says, and our church does not compel us to accept it in the literal and the physical sense. Isn't that finally wonderful? We have come a long way, baby. (laughs) The creeds all stated the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. But his church will not compel him or anybody else in his church to believe and to accept the literal and the physical sense, the virgin birth of Christ. Though as a scholar, he understands that that's exactly what the Bible is teaching. He says, this is one of the doctrines on which the church says that we have all, we have full liberty to come to our own conclusion. In other words, Professor Barclay and his friends, they are telling us we do not have to believe what the Bible clearly teaches because we are living in the scientific age We are moderns. We do not anymore believe in primitive conceptions of miracles. So virgin birth of Jesus to me and to this church and to millions of orthodox Christians, Bible-believing Christians around the world, virgin birth of Jesus is not a crude fact. To us who believe in God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, belief in miracles is not at all a problem. We glory 
in the virgin birth of Jesus, the second person of the Godhead. Because without this virgin birth, the cross will be emptied of its power. Without the virgin birth, Jesus would not be able to save anyone. He is just a man, just like anyone else. Rather, he would need a savior. You remove virgin birth, then you remove the power of the cross to save us. Now when you look at the account of Matthew and Luke, Matthew and Luke give us a detailed account of the birth of Jesus Christ. And when you look at these two accounts, one thing that you notice is that these accounts are totally independent. And yet, Matthew and Luke concur in this great doctrine called virgin birth. If you look at Matthew chapter 1 and verse 16, Matthew tells us that Joseph had nothing to do with the begetting of Jesus Look at verse 16. And Jacob the father of Joseph. The husband of Mary. Of whom was born Jesus. Who is called Christ. And then. As we already told you before. In verse 18. Saint Matthew explains this. And we are told in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ. Came about his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together. She was found to be with child. Ek pneumatos hagiyu. Through the Holy Spirit. And in verse 20. You read that angel was commissioned. To come to Joseph. And the angel tells him, contrary to what he thought Joseph had thought in his head, angel says the same thing. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is again ek primatos hagiu. Of the Holy Spirit. And then Matthew tells us in verse 23. All this took place. So that the word of the Lord might be fulfilled. And what was the word of the Lord? The virgin will be with child. And will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel. Which means God with us. I believe with James Orr and. J. Gresham Machen and a number of others that the prophecy of Isaiah 7.14 has a singular reference and that is that prophecy is speaking about the birth of Jesus Christ through the mother, the virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so here it is. Saint Matthew under the inspiration of the same Holy Spirit. 
which inspired Isaiah to write the prophecy. Under the same inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, well, this took place in fulfillment of what Isaiah, what the Lord spoke through Isaiah. And in verse 25, Matthew goes out of his way to let us know that Joseph did not have any sexual relationship with Mary until this son was born. And finally in verse 25 it says, He, Joseph, gave him the name Jesus. Now that act of giving him the name Jesus meant that he adopted him as his son. He became the legal father. Joseph is addressed here as the son of David, which means he is prince. Though Davidic dynasty has declined and in eclipse, now out of the stump is coming a shoot, a branch. Jesus, who is now the legal heir to that throne through Joseph, who is the son of David. And as a result of his adopting him. Now look at Luke's account. And chapter 1 and verse 27 of Luke. We are told that Mary. Mary is called a virgin. He parthenos. Virgin. And Luke says this two times. In verse 27 of chapter 1 of Luke. And chapter 1 verse 34. This young girl, this virgin, asked the question, how can this be? Epe antra huginosko, since I do not know a man, meaning sexually. And the answer is, Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit shall come upon you. The power of the Most High shall overshadow you. Angel Gabriel tells her, there is nothing that's impossible with God. Who was Luke? Well, Luke was a historian. Turn with me to Luke chapter 1 and the introduction to it. And here it is. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. He is not setting out to write some mythology some legends. He is a historian. His purpose is to write things that took place among us. Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses. There's no question for Luke and for Matthew the source for this virgin birth is Mary the mother of Jesus herself. Eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Those who saw it. And not only that. Therefore since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. It's not somebody sitting down and writing a novel. Creating everything out of his own head. This is a historian. He investigated all things from the beginning. Which includes the virgin birth. Of Christ. It seemed good also to me to write an orderly account. 
And what is the purpose? We are told here so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So that you may know what you've been taught is true and certain, factual. That's what Luke is doing. And so he begins his gospel account. First, by the narration of a supernatural birth of John the Baptist. And secondly, the supernatural virgin birth of Jesus Christ. And so we must understand this is historical, this is factual, this is that which has been investigated. This is that which has been seen by eyewitnesses. Something that is written for the certain that we may have certainty of the gospel. The church of Jesus Christ always believed in the virgin birth. Its creeds reveal this fact. And let me say to you this doctrine is essential to our salvation. So unlike Barclay and his church, this church believes, teaches, and glories in the biblical doctrine of the virgin birth of Jesus. Deny the virgin birth, you will soon begin to deny all the miracles of the Bible. And you will reduce Jesus to be a mere man. Albeit a nice man, an ethical man, the best man if you want to call it, but a mere man, incapable of saving anyone. Such reductionism removes the joy of Christmas by removing the Savior. Now let's look at the decision of Joseph. Which was changed by God. See after the angelic annunciation to Mary. Of the virgin birth in Nazareth. Virgin Mary was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. And she conceived. And after that she goes to Judea from Nazareth. To see Elizabeth. For spiritual encouragement and fellowship. And she was there for three months. And then she returned to Galilee to Nazareth. And Joseph was informed of this fact of her miracle pregnancy. And yet she did not give any explanation. In my view. Now let's look at this. Marriage business in Jewish circles. First there was the betrothal as you know. The couple exchanges vows of fidelity. Before witnesses. From that point on the man is known as husband. The woman is known as wife. This is the first phase of marriage yet. Before they can live together. As husband and wife. There was a space of about one year. One year should elapse. At the end of this one year period. The husband comes and ceremoniously. 
takes his bride to his home. As we read of course in Matthew 25. There is then the marriage feast. And after that they live together as husband and wife. Here notice Mary is pregnant before living together as husband and wife. Before knowing a man. Before any sexual relation took place. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 22. There you find out what needs to be done with a person who becomes pregnant this way. 22, 22nd chapter Deuteronomy verse 23 and, and following. If a man happens to meet in a town a virgin pledged to be married and he sleeps with her you shall take both of them to the gate of the town and stone them to death and so on now that was the punishment to be meted out whether they practiced this during the new testament times or not we do not know but joseph was informed the truth i'm pregnant And we are told that Joseph is a just man. Being a just man like Job and Zacharias. He refuses to marry Mary. And at the same time he desires to divorce her privately rather than publicly. Privately by writing her a bill of divorcement. In front of two witnesses and let her go. As stipulated in Deuteronomy 24 verse 1. But let me tell you what Mary is doing. See I don't think Mary explained anything to Joseph at all. Mary had trusted in the Lord with regard to this thorny issue. Mary's attitude in my view seems to be this. Nothing is impossible with God... As Gabriel stated, I am pregnant with the Holy Child by the supernatural work and power of the Holy Spirit. The barren Elizabeth of Judea is about to deliver John. As Gabriel had told me. See, she went and she saw everything is as angel had told her. So she comes to this conclusion. So this problem with Joseph... Is God's problem. He must solve it. And he will solve it. I must trust God. Sure enough. God sent an angel to Joseph. Joseph I'm sure loved Mary. And yet he cannot go ahead with this marriage. And the text tells us. He decided. To divorce her privately. He decided that. And he he went to bed. And I'm sure before he went to bed, what did he do? He prayed. He said, oh God, you know, (laughs) take care of this matter. He was a believer. He was a just man. And so we notice in a dream, angel of the Lord spoke to him. The angel of the Lord brought to him the command from the Lord. And what is it? Number one, do not fear. Two, take Mary as your wife. That is, Joseph, go ahead with your marriage. With the second part of that marriage, go ahead. Bring her ceremoniously to your house and have a marriage feast and live. And then, 
the real final revelation. What is it? Because what is conceived in her is is of the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden the darkness is dispelled from his, from his mind and from his heart. The angel is saying she is not an adulteress. She is a virgin. She is innocent. She is just. She is righteous. She is pure. This is God's work. Can you imagine the joy that filled his soul because he did love Mary? And then you must give the name Jesus to the son who will be born. In other words, Joseph You must protect her, provide for her, honor her, and must adopt this son by naming him, which is an official act. Naming him Jesus. And thus, you will become the legal father of Jesus. Joseph, as I said, is the prince. He's the son of David. Legal heir to the throne. And now... By naming Jesus, adopting him, Jesus becomes the legal heir to the throne of David. He is Jesus, the king. Now notice, he went to bed with one decision and he woke up with God's decision. Isn't that something? How many times we decide Without facts, without understanding. Prayer means going to God and say, God, show me your way. Your decision. I decided that doesn't have to be right. What's your decision, Lord? And it will surprise you sometimes that his decision is exactly opposite to the decision we have arrived at. And so he accepted God's guidance, changed his previous decision to divorce her. He went and took her as his wife, protected her, provided for her, honored her. And when she gave birth, he dutifully adopted him and gave him the name Jesus. But notice, who is this Jesus? We are told you should call his name Jesus the Reason. For he shall save his people. And the Greek text tells us, he himself, he alone, there is no other savior, he alone shall save his people. Here then is revealed the purpose of this virgin birth. What is the purpose of the virgin birth? To give us a savior who is capable of saving his people from their sins. Let's turn to Psalms 49, which we have read last time. Let's read it, verse 7, 8, and 15. No man can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for him. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough. And verse 15, but God will redeem my life from the grave. He will surely take me to himself. And now turn to 130. At the psalm and verse 8, which is what is reflected in Matthew chapter 1 and verse, 
Let's read 7 and 8. Oh, Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. And then there is this notice given to us. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. So in the fullness of time, God through the virgin birth is giving us a savior who is God, man, able to redeem us from our sins. You should name him Jesus for he alone will save his people from their sins. You see, Jesus was a common name during New Testament times. But the problem is, nobody can save anybody. Anybody can call somebody Jesus, that doesn't mean anything. The Hebrew verb from which this noun is found is yasha, which means to save, which means to deliver people from danger, deliver people from sickness, deliver people from death. (laughs) But here, to deliver people from the greatest problem. Of man, which is sin. And St. Peter speaks in the book of Acts and chapter 4 and verse 12 there is no other Savior but Jesus Christ. Isn't that true? From their sins. Let me tell you the fundamental problem of man. Don't believe the politicians or philosophers or educators or scientists. The fundamental problem is not political. Not economic, not social, not medical, not educational. The fundamental problem of man is sin. And which is the cause of all human sufferings and all other problems. And you read Genesis 3, we see how sin came into this humanity. Adam sinned and we all are sinners. Heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. No one seeks God. All have turned astray. There is no fear of God before man. He is an enemy of God. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 15. Let's hear what Jesus says about human heart. Not his heart. But the human heart of everybody else. 15 the chapter... And verse 19, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander, and so on. Human heart is the problem. Man is an enemy of God, is cut off from the life of God. Sin has separated man from God. And Jesus came to solve sin problem and reconcile us to God. How? Through the cross. Through the cross. Here is perfect God and perfect man, sinless man. And Jesus himself says, I have come to give my life a ransom for many. And he tells us in the 26th chapter of Matthew and verse 28. And this is what he tells us when he instituted the Holy Supper. And we read this. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. There is no other way to save people from their sins except God, man, come into the world and die on the cross. God 
man without sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Paul says Christ died for our sins. I want you to know the one lying helplessly in the cattle trough in Bethlehem is the almighty God became flesh who will die on the cross for us sinners that he may redeem us from our sins. His people. His people, first Jews and then the Gentiles, the covenant with Abraham is all the families of the earth be blessed. Christ loved the church and gave himself for his people, the elect people. And the elect people of God will surely repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And let me guarantee you, he will save all his people. What does salvation mean? Let me tell you what salvation means. First, it is salvation from sin. From the guilt of sin, from the power of sin, from the punishment of sin, and from the presence of sin. Sin is the problem, and sin is dealt with totally, comprehensively by Jesus Christ. And not only that, we are saved from sin but saved to God unto life eternal. The purpose of salvation is what? That we may have fellowship with God and his son Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what life is. This is eternal life that you may know. The only true and living God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Jesus Christ, the virgin born Jesus Christ who obeyed God fully And the one who died on the cross in behalf of our sins. This is what gives us eternal life. This is God's way of saving. Somebody spoke about a French psychotherapist. And he solved the problem of man. It's very simple. By auto-suggestion. That you get up in the morning and chant this mantra. What is it? Day by day, in every way, I'm getting better and better. Today's New Age types solves the human problem by the mantra. What is it? I am God. I create my own reality. And all New Ageism is all about this lie that man is God. All human diagnosis of human problem is false. All human solution to human problem is false. God looked at man and sees his problem which is sin. And sends a savior his only son. To solve sin problem. And to bring us back into that joyful fellowship with God. God says I know your problem. God says it is your heart. You are a rebel cut off from God. And solution to this problem is through my son, Savior, King, Jesus. Through his death he will solve sin problem and reconcile you to God. That's what he did. The good shepherd has laid down his life for the sheep. Let me tell you, self-redemption of a sinner is utter foolishness and impossibility. So we have a savior from heaven. 
Paul says the second man from heaven. He is Jesus. And Matthew tells us Emmanuel. With us God. Now the question is have you received this personal gift of the father. Secondly the question is have you given this gift to your children. A serious question. Emmanuel. And Jesus said, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the ages. Truly to us a child is born, to us a son is given, for our salvation and for our joy. The word became flesh, God became flesh, creator became flesh, the eternal son of God became flesh and he dwelt among us he came to dwell with the sick Hendrickson says to heal them he came to dwell with the demon possessed to liberate them he came to dwell with the poor in spirit to bless them he came to dwell with the care ridden to rid them of care He came to dwell with the lepers to cleanse them. He came to dwell with the disease to cure them. He came to dwell with the hungry to feed them. Not only with physical bread, but the living bread. And above all, he came to dwell with the lost to seek and save them. Nobiscum Deus with us. God in Jesus Christ. And let me tell you yet. A greater reality awaits. At his second coming. Let's turn to the book of Revelation. And the 21st chapter. Tells us. About. This. Nobiscum Deus. In its fullness. Then I saw a new heaven. And a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They'll be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Nobiscum Deus, Emmanuel, God with us. Rise, rejoice, because God in Jesus Christ is with us.